The FT. The U.S. is going to win the global currency battle, October the twelfth, two thousand and ten. Currencies dominated this year's annual meetings of the International Monetary Fund. More precisely, two currencies did: the dollar and the renminbi. The former because it was deemed too weak, and the latter because it was deemed too inflexible. But behind the squabbles lies a huge challenge: how best to manage the global economic adjustment. In his foreword to the New World Economic Outlook, Olivier Blanchard, the IMF's economic counselor, states, and I quote: "Achieving a strong, balanced, and sustained world recovery, to quote from the goal set in Pittsburgh by the G20, was never going to be easy. It requires two fundamental and difficult economic rebalancing acts." End of quotes. The first of these is internal rebalancing. A return to reliance on private demand in advanced countries and retrenchment of the fiscal deficits that opened up in the crisis. The second is external rebalancing, greater reliance on net exports by the U.S. and some other advanced countries, and on domestic demand by some emerging countries, notably China. Unfortunately, concludes Professor Blanchard, and I quote: "These two rebalancing acts are taking place too slowly." End of quote. We can consider this rebalancing on two dimensions. First, the erstwhile high-spending, high-deficit advanced countries need to deleverage their private sectors on the journey to what Mohammed El Erian of Pimco, the investment company, calls the new normal. In his Per Jacobson lecture, second, the real exchange rates of economies with robust external positions, strong investment opportunities, or both, need to appreciate. While expansion of domestic demand offsets the consequent drag from net exports, aggressive monetary policy by reserve-issuing advanced countries, particularly the U.S., is an element of both processes. The cries of pain now heard around the world as markets push currencies up against the dollar partly reflect the uneven impact of U.S. policy. Still more, they reflect the stubborn unwillingness to accept the needed changes, with each capital recipient trying to deflect the unwanted adjustment elsewhere. To put it crudely, the U.S. wants to inflate the rest of the world, while the latter is trying to deflate the U.S. The U.S. must win, since it has infinite ammunition. There is no limit to the dollars the Federal Reserve can create. What needs to be discussed is the terms of the world's surrender, the needed changes in nominal exchange rates, and domestic policies around the world. If you wish to understand how aggressive U.S. policy might become, read a recent speech by William Dudley, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. He notes that, and I quote: "In recent quarters, the pace of growth has been disappointing, even relative to our modest expectations at the start of the year." End of quote. Behind this lies deleveraging by U.S. households in particular. So, what can monetary policy do about it? His answer is that I quote: "Very low interest rates can help smooth the adjustment process by supporting asset valuations, including making housing more affordable, and by allowing some borrowers to reduce debt interest payments." Beyond this, to the extent that monetary policy can cut off the tail of the distribution of potential adverse economic outcomes, it can help encourage those households and businesses with money to spend to do so. End of quote. Above all, today's low and falling inflation is potentially calamitous. 
At worst, the economy might succumb to debt deflation. U.S. yields and inflation are already following the path of Japan's in the 1990s. The Fed wants to stop this trend. That is why another round of quantitative easing seems so imminent. In short, U.S. policymakers will do whatever is required to avoid deflation. Indeed, the Fed will keep going until the U.S. is satisfactorily reflated. What that effort does to the rest of the world is not its concern. The global consequences are evident. The policy will raise prices of long-term assets and encourage capital to flow into countries with less expansionary monetary policies, such as Switzerland, or higher returns, such as emerging economies. This is what is happening. The Washington-based Institute for International Finance forecasts net inflows of capital from abroad into emerging economies of more than $800 billion in 2010 and 2011. It also forecasts massive intervention by recipients of this capital, albeit at a slightly falling rate. Recipients of the capital inflow, be they advanced or emerging countries, face uncomfortable choices. Let the exchange rate appreciate, so impairing external competitiveness, intervene in currency markets, so accumulating unwanted dollars, threatening domestic monetary stability and impairing external competitiveness, or curb the capital inflow directly via taxes and controls. Historically, governments have chosen combinations of all three. That will be the case this time too. Naturally, one could imagine an opposite course. Indeed, China objects to the huge U.S. fiscal deficits and unconventional monetary policies. China is also determined to keep inflation down at home and limit the appreciation of its currency. The implications of this policy is clear. Adjustments in real exchange rates should occur via falling U.S. domestic prices. China wants to impose a deflationary adjustment on the U.S., just as Germany is doing to Greece. But this is not going to happen. Nor would it be in China's interest if it did. As a creditor, it would enjoy an increase in the real value of its claims on the U.S., but U.S. deflation would threaten a world slump. Professor Blanchard is clearly right. The adjustments ahead are going to be very difficult, and they have also hardly begun. Instead of cooperation on adjustment of exchange rates in the external account, the U.S. is seeking to impose its will via the printing press. The U.S. is going to win this war one way or the other. It will either inflate the rest of the world or force their nominal exchange rates up against the dollar. Unfortunately, the impact will also be higgledy-piggledy with the less protected economies such as Brazil or South Africa forced to adjust and others protected by exchange controls such as China able to manage the adjustment better. It will be far better for everybody to seek a cooperative outcome. Maybe the leaders of the Group of 20 will even be able to use their mutual assessment process to achieve just that. Their November summit in Seoul is the opportunity. Of the need, there can be no doubt. Of the will, the doubts are many. In the worst of the crisis, leaders hung together. Now the Fed is about to hang them all separately. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.